Chinese dragons. Nagas, talk about nagas in, in Theravada Buddhism. Dragons is a similar program. Yeah, they have a subtle body like a heavenly being, but it's not a heaven realm, it's, it's, it's like the lower realm. Can they exist in the
this dragon is associated with a, a daimon, like a Chinese man dressed in white with a sword and long hair. He uh, invited the Barami to seek Ajahn Chah to spread method to come in his limiter. He attended on Ajahn Chah and he was holding a sword, and when I was holding a sword, he gave that to Ajahn Chah, and Ajahn Chah floated over and kind of battled. Anyway, there was no way he handled those Chinese movies with the dragon. This dragon battled with many, many people before, and nobody's ever managed to defeat it. Nobody's ever managed to tame it. Ajahn Chah came with this knight and his sword that Ajahn passed him and went straight into the mouth, huge mouth of this huge dragon. And in the mouth of the dragon was always a crystal, which is like the power, the barony of the dragon. And he managed to grab the crystal out of the crystal ball, bring it out, because Ajahn Chah's barony was very uh, amazing. So he tamed that dragon. That's just a limit, that's a vision. These things are symbolic of dragon very long. It symbolizes many people and it symbolizes like the strength of the dragon, sword, crystal, mindfulness and wisdom. So the battle with the sword is wisdom. It's all symbolic. Does that mean in the future there will be Aryas arise from this, from this monastery? Yeah, okay. It's already miraculous now. 70, 80, 90 people come and meditate all night long. <laughs> Not just one, but quite often. And it's already a miraculous thing in the world. It's a reflection, you reflect in your mind when you think of them, you dedicate the good that you do, when you share in the goodness that you're doing, whatever. Or meditation, chanting, whatever you're doing, you can invite them to share the goodness of what they're doing. Bring you. I'll bring you back. Often. These things are shared very often, regularly. But if you don't share with your loved ones, you share with all beings, you see everything else? It's best to do it both. You think of your loved ones are awesome, all beings. <coughs> Well, the person that I'm very 
become like the sort of one you have to admit it. You must understand like the, the Dhamma eyes must be open. Is that what it is? That means you understand is it a whole lot of the Dhamma or just maybe a little section of the Dhamma? It's a change of view, the way one views the world, views oneself. Before, the Sotapanna, one always had this view, this natural view, the way one looks and relates to this person, one has this sense it's a self, it's me, mine, myself. That changes through development of the path, development of insight. They have clear understanding this is not myself. That sense of ownership and attachment is gone. That's what's changed for the Sotapanna. The difference between opening up the Dhamma eyes and and what and a sort of part are they the same? The same. Would that be in the in the way to change in attitude? And attitude, attitude in the heart. There's still some attachment to the sort of part and on the mountain, but the whole way the mind views things relates to the world has changed. The Buddha, the real Buddha, it's possible to see or behold the, the Dharma body of the Buddha in once becomes peaceful, develops insight, one sees the Dharma, or is there one who sees the Dharma sees the Buddha? There might be an image of that, a manifestation of seeing the Dharma as a Buddha. It's not the Buddha, but it's seeing the Dharma. Do you feel like that? Seeing, say, the Buddha in the time of the Buddha, historically going back to time, people and what was going on in that time, well, one might be able to have that experience by recollecting past life and to develop that skill through meditation. That's different from what we're talking about. We're talking about seeing the Dhamma through development of insights into the nature of phenomena, the nature dukkha anatta, of physical, mental phenomena. When the mind has seen that, penetrated that clearly in phenomena, then that gives rise to true insight, liberates the heart. And that's seeing the Buddha as this, I'm just penetrating the same understanding, the same thing that the Buddha did. So one is seeing the Buddha through one's experience, which is obviously different from, say, recollecting a past experience from remembering or recollecting the past. Interpreting that information, 
if they have very good samadhi, the mind is very still, stable, and then we have to see and understand or know something very clearly, <coughs> maybe without embellishing it or changing it very much. But somebody else their mind might be very easily shaken, easily influenced by many things, so you know, they won't be able to get that information or understand that thing very well and add to it or change it. So it depends on each person, the level of their mind, how peaceful it is, how, how much wisdom they have. Uh, often like we have to make uh, decisions and uh, do things according to what we hear or what we see. Sure, it's true, it's not true. You don't rush to make a quick decision and say, oh, this is all wrong or this is right. You have to learn how to you know, receive things with an open mind and, and just learn and take the time to learn what is the real truth about that issue or that thing. How do you think that in the real world, very often we don't receive the complete information? Consider something and you develop your own wisdom until you're clear for yourself that this is true or not true. So you always develop a wisdom in your decision making. Like that, this person speaks like that. 
So you'll find that you probably have that you know at the beginning you're not able to just recognize Sanya, this is Sanya, my memory, my perception of someone, establish my presence and just drop it like that. You won't be able to do that. Talk to people, be involved in the world. So a lot of our practice, you know, maybe when you've got free time you go away and you sit and you meditate more quietly in a formal way. You have Sanya right then. Now at that time you can start to contemplate it in a more detailed way, more closely observing your perception of something or memory of something, recognizing it is impermanent, it is not self, and letting go of it by doing the meditation, formal meditation like that. But the time, you know, daily life, all these candors are rising at the same time. You have consciousness, you have sankara, you have sanya. So it's not you know, in the beginning of practice you're not going to be able to just drop and let go of everything from moment to moment. Maybe at the end of your practice you are develop that skill. But for now, when you do the duties and activities you have to do, and when you have time to meditate when you come and that's the time when you will be able to do more work of recognizing and then letting it go. Does that make sense? Not forgetting, it's knowing that that sanya is impermanent and therefore not grasping. But it's not the same as completely blocking it out or forgetting. It's just knowing the nature of it. Like you think it's not hard 
you know, in what way, and also, uh, to be a Tosafan, do you have to be very uh, skilled in your meditation practice? Okay, the important thing is diligent practice, putting effort into the practice. You don't have to think so much about, oh, I've got to gain samadhi at some point in the future and become really sort of skilled. Just work with where you're at now, whatever's arising in your mind right now, start contemplating it, the sense of self. You have a thought about somebody who like this person, who don't like that person. Who is it who likes, who is it who dislikes, who is this person? Is that, are they really a person, am I really a person? Just keep investigating these different experiences we have to go deeper and break through different delusions we have. Just do that on the, get in that habit. Little by little your mindfulness will improve and from that your wisdom will improve and also your samadhi will improve. Yeah, it will all improve over time. But you have to just work where you're at right now and see where attachments arise and where delusions arise. Contemplate that. Can we see the practice of the physical part? You can. Keep contemplating the body and feelings. And if you find it helps the 32 parts or the four elements, ask is this, are these elements me, mine, myself, earth element, fire element, air element, water element? You keep investigating, like this, keep asking yourself these sort of questions. You reach the point where the mind lets go of everything and let the sensory self disappear. Through the practice, 
you don't want to lose your way, stray out from, from the path, or keep following the path through the practice, keep practicing Dharma, keep keeping the precepts, keep developing meditation, keep developing states of calm, keep developing wisdom and insight through your meditation. As long as you keep doing that, or you won't stray from the path. Pets will say that because theoretically, strictly speaking, well, there's always that slim chance that something like that could happen. One could have an unwholesome mind state right at the end of one's life. But if you think about it, if you are putting lots of effort into Dharma and Sina and Bhavana all through your life, what's the most likely result of that is, or the most likely result is that the good karma you generated will look after you and protect you at the end of your life because that's the most. The, the, the normal kind of karma you've been making, that's the most powerful kind of karma you've been making. Yeah, but strictly speaking, there's always a chance something could come into your mind at the end, but you know, if you've done all that practice before, it's very unlikely. It's mostly the pain or some things can be located, and this is, I think, a great chance for me to go down. Keep practicing, letting go, abandoning those thoughts of ill will. Depends on your skill as a practitioner and what, what you're skilled in turning your mind to, say, at the time of death, and it might be uh, you know, sick or physically injured or something. It's what you're skilled at. If you are skilled at turning to reflect and recollect the good you've done and the good deeds you've done, well, that should guarantee a heavenly rebirth, good rebirth, heavenly rebirth. If you're able to turn your mind to reflect on each of the Tanatha at that moment, if the mind was to gather and unify in Samadhi as you're reflecting on each of the Tanatha, you die, as you die, you become a Harikuma, could become a Sodhaka. Can you explain that more? <laughs> Can you explain that more? I mean, that's what you say, when it's your pain, it would be it's good to transfer. So you transfer, you give away, then before you try to think that what you have given away. So don't share all your merits with all the merits Things, but one's not attaching. One has to practice to develop that 
skills that one learns good, but one can maybe go on and attach it to self as one's doing good. But you'll still be able to remember the things that know. Last, last question. Okay, last question. Yeah, you always collect our training and attachment. If one is doing that, that's, that's correct. Um, we'll have the data in 